0: You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. I'm telling you right now, this is one of my all time favorite episodes, one of the most important conversations that we can possibly be having right now, and really looking at the realm of how our mind is creating our body. And the neuroscience on this is going to knock your socks off. It's such an important conversation to have because we've been led to believe that we are a victim of these mechanistic aspects of us. You know, When body parts start to fail, there's nothing that controls them. We gotta try to get in there and take a wrench to it and put things back together. And our special guest today has been leading the field of neuroscience for decades. And she's got incredible data on how our thoughts, how our mind is literally creating our brain. Our mind is creating our body. And like I said, it's incredibly empowering. And also the passion that she emits after 40 years of being in this space, the knowledge base is just phenomenal, but the ability to illustrate these things for us and really bring it to life is just super inspiring. I'm just riding high right now listening to Uh, this interview today myself. And so really, really grateful to share this. It's an important part of the conversation right now because we're also, again, we're led to believe that we're victims here. We're just victims. There's nothing that we can do. We need to sit back and wait for something to come along to fix us, to fix our lives, to fix our situation. And nothing could be further from the truth. We are remarkably powerful and we are endowed with the capacity to change and transform so much about ourselves and the world around us, but we have to get plugged back in to the reality. We actually we can't be unplugged from it; it's happening. But we're just really using our power for for small things. We don't even realize that we're just giving our power away. So, again, I think this is going to really blow your socks off. So, before we jump into that, a big part of our ability to to manage our health obviously is our nutrition. And for myself and my family, and I could see it right over there, my son every day, my oldest son, and my younger son as well, we are making sure that we're getting our bodies infused with these superfood concentrates, all right, superfood concentrates, and one of those is in the form of these grain-dense superfoods, like spirulina, like chlorella, right? Chlorella is one of the most dense sources of chlorophyll, which I talk about in my new book, Eat Smarter. We've got incredible peer-reviewed studies on how chlorophyll helps to reset our palate, helps to protect our bodies and kind of reset what our brains are doing in association to the manipulation that's taking place with our senses, with our with our flavor palate, all right? So helping to reset that hyper-palatability, that addiction even that we have to processed foods. And so chlorophyll has this really miraculous capacity to do that. So that's number one, but we've got that in chlorophyll, but also Uh, With chlorella, we've got chlorella growth factor. We've got its chelation capabilities to help to chelate heavy metals. Wow, that's incredible. With spirulina, we've got one of the most dense sources of phycocyanin, which is one of the few nutrients that's been proven to generate something called stem cell genesis, so the creation of new stem cells. Really, really powerful stuff that you just don't see in Kool-Aid jammers. You don't get that kind of nutrition when you're knocking down some sunny delight, but you get that in Organifi Green Juice. All right, pop over there, check them out. It's com forward slash model. You get 20% off their incredible green juice formula. It's cold temperature processed, whole food concentrates. This is not synthetic. This is real food. Easily assimilated. Just pour it into some water. Kids love it. Uh, of course, adults love it. Kid-tested mother approved, but you know this is just a normal part of our routine. You can also add it to smoothies, but it's just a great way to get whole food nutrition, your micronutrients, but then superfood capacity with some of those interesting aspects that I just shared. So definitely pop over there and check them out. It's Organifi.com forward slash model for 20% off. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Life Changing from Bianca from Texas started this podcast last month, heard about it from my Master Your Health podcast and fell in love. The way Sean breaks something, anything down is so easy for me to comprehend. And the topics are just unbelievably great and needed. This is for sure already changing my life. Thank you so much for leaving me that review over on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate it so very much. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Our guest today is Dr. Caroline Leaf. And she's a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist whose passion is to help people see the power of the mind to change the brain and find their purpose in life. She's the author of Switch on Your Brain, Think and Eat Yourself Smart, The Perfect You, and Think, Learn, Succeed. Among many other books and journal articles and her videos, podcasts, and television episodes have reached millions of people globally. She currently teaches at various academic Medical and neuroscience conferences. And she's been featured everywhere from TED to L to the O Magazine and many other major media outlets. And now she's here today on the Model Health Show to absolutely blow your mind with this new information. And again, buckle your seatbelt because there's some incredible empowerment that is about to take place. Let's jump into this conversation with the incredible. Dr. Caroline Leaf, thank you so much for joining me on the show today.
1: Oh, Sean, it's a, it's wonderful to meet you, and thank you for inviting me.
0: It's my pleasure. I was just sharing with you that it was like 12 years ago, my daughter and I read your book, one of your earlier books, Who Switched Off My Brain? And she yes. only recommended like two books ever. One of them was like Bernstein Bears when she was like a little kid, <laughs> and then this one- And she demanded that I read it with her. So yeah, you were already a part of my life back then. Well,
1: that's so special. I just love that story. That's really special. Means a lot to me. Tell her I say big hi.
0: Also, I definitely will do that. Now I gotta tell you, this new book, it is so good. It's one of those books where you read something you've never read before, but you just feel it, you know that this is true. Just nobody's ever articulated it before. And so it's just like, "Oh, oh, that's true. Oh, that's true. Oh, that's true constantly oh, so throughout
1: good. the book. Gosh, thank you, I'm very honored, thank you. Well, I was hoping to help people see the power of mind because it's such an unspoken, it's un, It's uncharted territory. You know, yeah. we know so much about food and body but we just do not understand the link to mind. And although people allude to it, do we really, you know, it's just not, it's not brought in enough into the conversation. You know, you you do bring it in but it's one of the few people that do, so.
0: Yeah, yeah and this is, I mean, for me, I gotta know how you got interested in this subject matter, you've been in this space, just making such a big impact for, and again, we've got so many mutual friends who love you. And what is your superhero origin story, your super brain (laughs) origin story? How did all this get started? Well, I've been in the field for 40
1: years now. It's like four four decades, 38 years ago, I started my research journey. And I was always fascinated from a young child with the brain and mind. And I was always going to be a neurosurgeon. That was kind of always my thing, a neurosurgeon. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll be a psychiatrist or no, I want actually to get my hands on the brain. And so that Drove the passion. And then I ended up not, not doing medicine. I ended up doing a degree that was a combination of medicine, neuroscience, psychology, neuropsychology, and communication pathology. It was a pure experiment. They did, they took, it was the first time they'd ever done it. They took a seven, seven year degree and they squashed it into four years. And they thought, okay, let's see if we can train up a different kind of group of people. And there's only of us, I think 60 of us qualified in the world with that. Degree, and then they stopped it because the dropout rate was too high because it was too demanding. Now, I say that to say that at the time I hated it because it was – We worked seven days a week. We had no weekends. We were in, in the hospital, in clinics, in neuroscience lectures. We were doing two years. We did two full years of medicine. It was so demanding. But I am so grateful now because that launched me into my honors, my master's, my PhD in understanding mind and brain and understanding the difference and the relationship and how the mind changes the brain, neuroplasticity, and how the mind influences not just the brain, but every cell of the body, and then the feedback loop between them and just the power that we have over mind. So that journey is, and then you know, when I was in my early years studying, I remember talking to some of my professors because in the '80s, and you may not, you may remember, may not be aware of this, but for example, Daniel Amen, who we both know, he he's about ten years older than what I am, and he studied, but he was studying kind of over the same time period. So both of us were trained in that the brain couldn't change. So I was getting scientific lectures from my neuroscienti- neuroscientist lectures saying that the brain can't change, and I had one neuroscience lecture who said, "I think this is wrong." and that just stimulated me and so I started Doing a research showing that the mind is different from the brain, and that if you deliberately and intentionally use the mind, you can change the brain. And some, a lot of my professors told me that's a ridiculous question. I've in fact I did a TED talk on this, yeah. and I showed. Um, I said, okay, well, that's all I need is for someone to tell, give me that kind of challenge. It's and I'll show mm-hmm. how not ridiculous this is because we keep changing as humans. So obviously, we're changing and growing. It's logical. So I worked with traumatic brain injured patients. I decided to start there, and. And it's quite a nice story because they, in in the 80s and, and late 80s, all through the 70s and 80s, they weren't doing much research with people who had suffered brain damage from like a car accident or um, from sports injuries like a chronic traumatic encephalopathy, that kind of thing, because they believe that once the brain was damaged, that's it. So you just teach your patients to compensate. And so that's such a hopeless view. So I started working with people with like really bad brain damage, and I can tell you lots of stories. But the one very quick story is I worked with a young girl who had an accident at the age of 16, Prior to that, she was an average student, not very good, very average, but like not really, especially math was a problem for her. And I say that and you'll see why. And she had this terrible car accident. She was in a coma for two weeks. At that stage, they thought that if you were in a coma for longer than eight hours, the brain damage was irreversible. So the message to her parents was that she had irreversible brain damage. She was going to be a vegetable. That's literally what they told the parents, and they said if she comes around, she's not going to be able to do much. She did come around, and she fought back. And about a few months into her post, um, her healing, her parents contacted me. I was a very young scientist at that stage, new, new in this whole field, and I said, well, if you're prepared to like run with me as, on a sort of research basis, let's see what happens. And within eight months, this young girl, peer group was in tw- was in twelfth grade. <clears throat> she wanted to get back to twelfth grade and finish school. She had lost nearly fifteen months, or something, sort of almost a year, of time, and she couldn't even cope on a second grade level. So we had eight months to basically get her up to twelfth grade and get her through twelfth grade, which was an, literally an impossible task. I had no idea where it was going to go. She did it in eight months using the systems that I developed, which I have refined over the last thirty-eight years and the most updated versions in this new book. This young girl applied these techniques. She worked with me, but she worked. With me, but she worked, so I can facilitate we can we can 't fix someone so it's very key is is a person actually doing the work, applying the system and she went and finished school. Not only finished school, but her mathematical scores were genius level. When we did her IQ post, post, post trauma, so at the end of her school career, when she, with brain damage, which was healing, she had a higher IQ. In fact, they said she's off the charts, that so she'd become a genius. And if you looked at her other IQ, her previous IQs, she was pretty much very average. So here is evidence, and then of someone who was an average student, kind of, and how, with damage, overcame the damage with mind and ended up being a phenomenal scholar going on to get degrees and she's one of thousands and now we reach millions and we get these stories I don't even work directly with all the millions obviously but the stories that we get back and over my career of 38 years the tra- trajectory of my career and in 25 years in clinical practice and with work with thousands in research we've seen this happening all the time you get your mind right you can overcome the traumas the learning dis- dis- disabilities the you know the Brain damage, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a long answer, Sean. Thank you for giving me time to answer in such a long way.
0: That's <laughs> what we've got to here. That's so powerful. <laughs> that is so powerful. This is the reason that I'm so excited to talk with you. You know, thank absolutely. You. Like really I, getting this truly so many people, there's this concept of like having arrows in your back because you're heading the charge. You're going out and doing this before anybody else is even accepting it as possible. And then having colleagues saying, you're crazy, all this stuff. But then, you know, having the proof. And by the way, so early on, even when I was in school, it was still largely held belief that the brain really can't change much. Change, yeah. Once you get brain damage or once the the decline, it's only decline, there's nothing mm -hmm. else. But then the the, the concept of plasticity began to came up. And also now neurogenesis, you know, really being at the forefront. So, and here's the thing though, is that, and you know this, it takes way too long for us to have proof for it to be used in clinical practice, to become accepted as exactly true. And that's one of the big issues with the system. And this is why I want to ask you about this next up, which is obviously mental health struggles and just that label. You talk about how, and this is one of the first things you cover in the book, how mental health struggles, struggles are not your identity. Yes, Can you extrapolate that a little bit?
1: Absolutely, and I'm so glad you've asked that because I watched this over my 38-year career going from in the early, funnily enough, in the early 80s where we thought the brain couldn't change, we had a better approach with mental health than we have now where we know the brain can change. And I did some of the first um, neuroplasticity research Um, in the world, in my field, in the 80s. And that was that time when I was told it was ridiculous. And it was only the mid-90s that people actually accepted that the brain could change. So it just shows you how recent it is. And so clinically it's affected how people practice. So I've watched people going from um, having a holistic approach, looking at the person in context, their whole story, if someone's battling with whatever they're battling with, and also separating out things like, um, you know, kind of looking at the whole person. So if you're battling with learning, you're battling with emotions, what happened? Not just lumping a label on because of the symptom. It was never, oh, you're battling with learning, you're battling with um, behavioral issues, and you're feeling very depressed. Um, it, 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 okay, so you're clinically depressed, you have a learning disability, here's the medication. That's today. Then it was a narrative of, okay, well, let's look at the whole story. Let's bring in the whole team. What happened to you? How can we address that backstory? And that changed over the last 38 years with the advances of our understanding of the human brain, which we needed. With the advances in brain science, technology, medicine, this has taken us leaps into the future but it, we paid a huge price, and I talk about that in the book too. And that huge price is that we've forgotten about the narrative of the person. Mm. And there's very few clinicians and people in the field. And I mean, Daniel, mean and myself, and and a few others are like there's there's honestly there's more now. But they they at one stage there was it, the the going belief is that if you have depression, it's considered something like uh, uh, diabetes, and there's a chemical imbalance. And I mean, none of this is scientific. None of it's been proven. All of it is looking for some sort of neurobiological correlate that caused this depression. So it's like you've got this 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 brain disease, and that's why you're depressed. No, you don't have a brain disease, and that's making you depressed. You can have one, and that can contribute, and it could be a tumor or something like that. But over you, your your mind is is what the, is the overarching concept here. So you're a person who's experienced maybe trauma or abuse or whatever it may be, or COVID and grief and loss and financial. Those so when we're feeling mental health challenges, those are not illnesses they are actually responses, and, and they are symptoms of an underlying issue, and they're warning signals that we need to listen to, and if we don't listen to them, and we just stick a label on, and people take that on as their identity, it changes the brain, it changes the body, and I'll, I'll show you how in a moment, but what essentially that does is in, 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 the, in the context of, of psychology and in population statistics and what happens to humanity, is when you ignore a person's story, and you don't allow a person to express, and find the cause and the origin, what you do is remove a whole component of a, of a person's functioning. You, you, you literally ignore 90% of how they're functioning. You focus just on the biological, which works great if you've got heart disease or something physically wrong with your body. But when we've got a story in our life, which all of us do have, we have to focus on that. So we see happening, We see what we saw happening from the mid-90s when neuroplasticity was at its going, I mean, at, uh, sort of ex- accepted and growing, we saw that leap in medicine, technology, neuroscience, we saw a backward movement, however, in mind. So people then started of cutting out the story of mind – and saying, well, that's elu- we we can't really measure it. So it would be, let's focus just on the biology. Let's make everything about the biology of the brain and its brain, 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 and forget all about the experience. And that has resulted in our current a current trend that people don't talk about enough. But it's called deaths of despair. And what is happening now in our current age in two thousand and twenty one, and it started in ninety six, and it peaked. It was it was really identified for, between fourteen and fifteen, and. It's a massive problem currently, and that is that people are dying 8 to 25 years younger than they should from preventable lifestyle diseases and disorders, and that's tracked back to the mid-90s. So what I'm saying in in total here is that for decades, we've been improving um, the trend of people living longer. For decades, people have been living longer because of advances, but that reversed in the mid-90s, and by the mid-2000s, it was was solid in science. Mm. So people are dying younger than they should with advances, there's a paradox. And we have to ask ourselves, how can that happen? It's contradictory, it doesn't work, but it is. And it's happening because of preventable stuff preventable lifestyle diseases. So when we think of lifestyle, we think of food and diet and exercise but it's, and stress management, and it's kind of a little category popped in there. But actually, each one of those things is driven by mind. So we've got to relook really at the whole concept. It's not that mind is just part of a list of things. Mind is driving all those things. Your mind never stops for three seconds. We can go without food for three weeks. We can go without water for three days. We can go without oxygen for three minutes. We don't even go three seconds without our mind working. Your mind is the source of everything. So your mind is the source of what you choose to eat and the, and the nutritional benefit you get from what you're eating. You can lose up to 80% of the nutritional benefit just by being in a toxic, unforgiving or bitter or angry state, which affects your pancreas, for example, and it doesn't secrete neuropeptides that you should have. And there's a whole bunch of stuff. So your mind is driving your digestive system. Your mind drives the benefit that you get down to the level of your DNA out of exercise. Your mind is driving how you manage that next argument, that next podcast, that next interaction, that response to the news. Your mind is always working. So if we don't deal with mind or we eliminate mind and just try and label people from a symptom, we are going to land up with what we have, people dying younger than they should. And uh, mankind going advancing with technology, but going backwards with who we are as humans. Mm. And that's who we are currently. And then COVID hit. That was already happening. Mm, and then right. COVID hit. And COVID is forcing us to, sh- it has added to the problem, but it's also forcing us to shift and it's going to bring us back to, where, to the 70s and 80s and 50s and 60s where we started looking at the human again. So it's had a yeah. very negative effect and a very positive effect. And not many people talk about the positive effect. So in conclusion to that question was a long answer. When you identify with, if someone says you have clinical depression from a list of symptoms and they, diag- so symptom, 15 minutes, diagnosis, label, medication, or maybe a bit of therapy or maybe a bit of both, you immediately change the way that your brain functions. You start your frontal, I'm just going to give you simple versions. For example, your frontal lobe, as soon as you get that kind of negative label, you get less oxygen and blood flow to the front of your brain, okay. literally immediately. Your identity gets stuck in being in a very negative identity. So you have a, you, you that creates imbalance between the two sides of the brain. So identifying with a toxic label that doesn't actually make sense will affect the functionality of your ability to make decisions and think with cognitive flexibility and right down to the level of impacting intelligence. And I show that in my research, when you actually show a person how to shift their identity and not see themselves as a label. So instead of saying, I am depressed, like that's me, I've got clinical depression. You rather say to help them to see, empower them to see that, no, you, you aren't depression. You're experiencing depression, which is totally okay totally understandable, and if you grab that depression and look at it, you'll find a message in the depression. You are simply responding in a normal way to an adverse circumstance. When you change that, you change everything about the brain, the body, right down to the level of the telomeres. So there's another long answer.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so good. I'm loving this so much. And even just tickling with the telomeres there at the end, it's so good. Tickling with the telomeres. Now, this is one of the most powerful things I've continued to reiterate for years, just because, Again, the data exists. Every thought that we have creates correlating chemistry in our body. So when you're talking about yes. mind creates your brain, mind creates your body. And but with that said, one of the most powerful things that we do, but often unconsciously do, is we accept these labels. And there's this Yeah. It's kind of a personal development statement, but there's science behind it. When you when you label me, you negate me. Right. When exactly you label me beautiful, you negate me. And we we literally are changed and as you by the way, if you guys aren't watching the video version and seeing Dr. Leaf picking up the brain and pointing to the different regions, make sure to check the video out, super cute. That, that's a nice brain, by the way. It and- is a
1: nice brain, I like it too. I have a few in here and there's another one in here here's a body with a brain, I love brains. <laughs> <laughs> they're, all over, they're all over my office.
0: <laughs> <laughs> She's got brains everywhere. So here's the thing though, is that when we subscribe to a label, it's changing our chemistry, it's changing our biology. And so once we take that on, and by the way, the the label, and I love the fact that you point to data. Like let's, and I love this repeatedly. You just like just look at the results. We have more antidepressants and antipsychotics than ever before, yet they haven't reduced the prevalence of any of these mental health issues at all. Something is clearly worse.
1: They've yeah. made them worse. We we have a worse problem. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. Oh, but we have a worse problem now than we had when uh, when in the late eighties, sort of mid eighties, was when Prozac was released, and it was in the fifties that the first antipsychotic was discovered by mistake. They basically as all psychotropics are anaesthetics. They're versions of anaesthetics. So they basically numb the brain. So we're sitting now in as part of the reason why people are dying eighteen to twenty five years younger. Part of it is not helping people manage mine, just Stuffing down the symptoms with a drug, and those drugs change the brain. They psychoactive, which means that they alter the brain chemistry, and not in a good way. And yes, maybe someone is having a complete psychotic break, and they're danger to themselves, and they may need to be sedated for a twenty four hour period, or just for it. Like you have surgery, you have an anaesthetic. You don't. You have it for that need, but it's not. These drugs should not be used beyond a need. They they're not fixing a problem, but what they've done is they've created a problem. So, Sean, what we're sitting with now is not just the normal mental health issues that people just have. If, you, if you're a human and you're alive, your, your mind's a mess. That's why I called my book, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. So there's no one's exempt. We've got to stop yeah. thinking that mental health affects them and not me. If you're human, you're experiencing adversity, up and down, good and bad, you're you are you're in a mental mess a lot of your day and we need to manage it. So mental health, when, when it gets very extreme, then we go down to the psychotic breaks and the severe dis- uh, d- d- depressions. But those are still not illnesses. Those are just warning symptoms that something's going on, that we need to go and find out the story and help you to reconceptualize that story. And that's what's so vital, that we don't keep thinking that there is... Um, the, the drugs haven't worked, the, the current labeling, diagnosing, and drugging hasn't worked. The prevalence has increased, suicide has increased, death of despair has increased, lack of increase. In, we have an, an, a mismanagement of mental health, which has created a whole lot of new iatrogenic problems, which are da- damage to the brain from these drugs, right. which are then producing other illnesses, but they're not the person's pain, they actually damage to the brain which is then and they can be healed I'm just saying that up front no one must just stop. go off their drugs so if anyone's listening to this and they're on any form of psychotropics Sean and I are not saying and I'm not saying as a doctor that you go straight do not because your brain has adapted so if you just stop you will have severe withdrawal symptoms and then your doctors will put you on higher doses and multiple drugs you need to get with the doctor who understands how to withdraw and there's many many sites that you can go on and I've got information on my website and you need to taper slowly under medical supervision. That's so important. that I, I cannot stress that enough. I just wanted yeah. to throw that in there. Yeah.
0: And also, of course, we want to make sure that the people that you're working with have the same goal as you, first and foremost. Exactly. You know, like, let's get on the same page so we're going in the same direction. And something really powerful just came up is that truly, the the problem is that the problem is not a problem in the way that it's written for us, right? Very we think good. that these, these diagnosis, like there's something wrong with you, instead of understanding, no, this is a part of the it's human normal. experience. so when exactly. when I'm experiencing anxiety, it is literally it it is feedback. it's giving it's giving me data that there's something that I need to address rather than let's suppress that that calling from from our body. And by the way, before we even get into that deeper, you've said this multiple times, but I want to help people to uh, understand a little bit deeper because we tend to think mind and brain are the same thing. So can you reference that distinction?
1: For us. So good. I'm so glad that you said that, and I love how you said about um, you said that statement a moment ago about uh, what was it? First of all, you said that I want to just reinforce. You said labels. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've labeled, you're going to regret it. I always also talk about labels locking us in. And you made what did you just say a few seconds ago? That was so good. It'll come back to me now. So I don't said,
0: know. That was like a Taoist like <laughs> stream of consciousness. I don't even remember. What okay, I so you will just
1: just edit this out. But you said something. Mm-hmm. It'll come back. It was so good. I just wanted to say a good statement. Okay, so maybe you can just edit this a little bit. Out okay, that. so. Was it, or was keep it, it in.
0: Was it the the problem is that the problem isn't a problem? It was that, but then you said something
1: after that that was so good. I wanted to just say, hey, I love that. Um, we just
0: got good stuff that just comes we out. Just,
1: exactly. <laughs> you know what? Let them, let them hear this all. It's great. Okay. So important to understand the mind-brain difference. And it's very understandable that we don't understand it because mind is considered the hard question of science and it's not the hard question of science. It's the, it's the most obvious question. And why? Because of the example I gave you earlier on. You don't even go three seconds without thinking. Mm. Your mind is always working. It works 24-7 and it's always on the go. So when you're awake, you, con- you have your conscious and your non-conscious mind working. And when you're asleep, you have your non-conscious mind working. And then also you have a subconscious mind. But before I touch those divisions, let's talk about then what is the brain? Well, the brain is not the mind. It's physical, it's a physical substance. So if I was holding a real human brain, or I had someone's brain who was sitting here and I took their brain out their head, which I would not do, um, and I was holding a brain in my hand that was real and alive, we could stare at that brain all day long, Sean, it would never do anything. So why do I say that? Because we told in the media, through the media, through the from the doctors, a lot of the psych- psychiatrists, that your brain produces your mind, that your brain's generating your thoughts, that your thoughts are coming from your brain. They're not. At all. There's a whole different pathway. Your thoughts are not coming from your brain. Your thoughts are built into your brain, but by another force, and that's your mind. So your mind is separate from the brain, but inseparable. The mind has to have the physical brain to express itself. And the mind also needs the body. So the mind needs the brain and the body in order to express itself. In other words, to express you. So mind is a gravitational force. We can use quantum physics and classical physics to understand it. It's very complicated, but there's been Nobel Prize winning work done on the gravitational fields that we immersed in and the gravitational fields inside of us and the quantum fields and electromagnetic fields inside of us. So one of the easiest ways to understand the separation is to think back to school. When we were at school, when your kids were at school, and they gave us a piece of white paper and then they put iron filings on it. Do you remember like having a piece of white paper with a bunch of iron and this blob of all these iron filings? Then you, you brought a magnet into the middle and you put it in and suddenly the iron filings arrange themselves into these magnetic fields now that is a great analogy for mind brain think of the brain as the as the magnet and think of the mind as the as the iron filings, but also it, it, the iron filings are still substance, but think of the patterns that what is causing the iron filings to go into those patterns. That's an electromagnetic force. Hmm. That's what the mind is like. So the mind is influencing the iron filings. It's influencing and the iron filings could be the the you could see those as your thoughts that are inside the brain and the magnet is the brain. So the physical has to to get a reaction out of it, but you need the mind. If you're dead, there's no mind. So there's no reaction in the brain. There's nothing happening in the body. But when you're alive, the patterns there, the electromagnetic forces are there. So you and I are generating electromagnetic fields as we speak. The, the words that I'm speaking are coming from thoughts that are physically built into my brain of all these years of research and everything I know about the field. And as we're conversing, your what you know about the field is popping up from thoughts in your brain. But they didn't just get there. They, didn't, they weren't just there. You built them. So you, as a human, you, Sean, went through life, and you went to school, and you and you went through life, and you got married, and had kids, and you've run businesses. All of those are day-to-day experiences that you've processed through your mind, this force, and and then it's been built, and then as that, that the life is experienced through the force that gravitational field, and that. Then goes through your brain and is transformed into thoughts that look like trees. So right now, as you are listening to me at four hundred billion actions per second, you and the listeners and viewers are taking my words. And if you're looking at these, if you can, if you're just listening, you're hearing. If you're listening and seeing, you're using. You've got sound waves and electromagnetic light waves. You're taking those, and you. What is you? You is mind. You are thinking feeling and choosing in response to what I'm saying. So mind, if you want a definition of mind, it's this gravitational field, that's the sciency stuff, this quantum field, psychologically the mind is how you think, how you feel and how you choose. So as you think, which you're always doing, you will always feel, you never think in isolation. As soon as you're thinking, you're feeling. And as soon as you're thinking and feeling, you're choosing. So it's think, feel, choose, think, feel, choose, think, feel, choose, we're doing that in cycles of like these sort of five step cycles on an unconscious level at 400 billion actions per second. Mm. And that's what you guys are doing right now. And you, and that then generates this energy where through the brain and the brain responds electromagnetically, chemically, neurochemically, and genetically and on a quantum level. And genetically is kind of that switch that switches on and it creates. So you are. The, when the gene is activated, so as you think, feel, choose, it rushes through the brain, electromagnetic, chemical response, and then the Like the last response is genetic, and that genetic response then builds proteins, and the proteins look like they cluster together and make branches. And my words are vibrations in those proteins. At this point, you've grown about two hundred branches, but you first grew roots. So as I started, as you introduced me, you sowed the seed that formed the roots of something about mind, brain, and our discussion, and the kids, and your daughter. and the, So those are the roots. And as I'm speaking, I mean, as as, as, I was, as you were talking, and you introduced, you grew a tree trunk, which is, oh, I'm going to learn about my mind. And then the branches are your behaviors and emotions related. So the root's the origin story. And as we're talking, we're growing more roots, the tree trunk's getting thicker, we're adding more branches with the data and the emotions, more information, more thick, thicker, thicker tree trunk, increasing perspective, improving perspective, are you getting more, and this is, that's a thought. That's what you're doing at 400 billion actions and that's, made, that's in your brain. And we have trillions upon trillions upon trillions of these, you never run out of space in the brain. These are dynamic, they're organic, they're always changing, so, Today, we're having a discussion, and I have already learned new stuff about my own work. So this stuff came up, and I grew more information. You grew more information. You know about the brain. So do I. But this discussion is enriching our – so we're growing more branches. You learn to drive. You grow the – the, the roots, and you you grow a thought of driving. Every time you get in the car, you grow more branches. It's experience, so your brain is constantly getting stuff built into it. So your brain is a responder, not a generator, and that's really what we need to see. It's a res- it's a responder. So if it's damaged and not looked often, this is really a huge part of what you do as well. You teach people how to you know eat and and also you work on thinking and um, exercise healthy. I mean, I've got your which I'm interviewing you about soon, really amazing stuff. I love your work, really. I also love your work. you teaching people to keep this organ healthy and this body healthy because the mind has to use this yeah. to be able to work. So if it doesn't, if it's if it's not working very well, then we have this fogginess. We have like driving through snowstorm without windscreen wipers. So we're dealing with a damaged goods. So you want your body and physical health. So you have to look it after that. But you, but that's a mind decision to look after that. So they can get your book. They can get my book, and they don't. They just it just sits on their shelf. Or you can actually study my book, study your stuff, and and I teach you how to study it, there's a whole chapter on how yeah. can you get information in your head and apply it, that's a decision of your mind. Studying means I'm going to think, feel, and choose, and learn this information and build trees in my brain of how to eat smarter, of how to clean up your mental mess. So that's it's everything's mind. So mind is that force that creates the iron filings, or it's the it's the force that creates the memories in the brain, these protein trees in the brain. And Sean, it does one more thing, it does a lot more things, but when you build a thought, not only do you build trees in your brain, but you also have 37 to 100 trillion cells in your brain and body. As you guys are listening to me now, you're building these, this tree in your brain, a thought with, could be as I said, there's 200, 300, 400, by the end of this conversation, you'll have probably a couple of thousand branches and roots on this thought, so it's one thought, made of multiple memories. Like a tree is made of branches, a thought is made of memories. So what's a memory? The branches on the thought. So each thought is a concept with multiple memories. So we build that in our brain. And that whole concept also goes into the DNA of every single cell. How that works, we still trying to understand, but those tiny little DNA strands also store the thoughts. So if whatever's in your brain, is also in every cell of your body, which is phenomenal. And that is why we experience, like PTSD is the most obvious thing to recall, that a trauma happens and whatever, and and you recall the trauma and it may be years later, but that trauma as it comes up, that trauma then you recall that whole sensation inside of your body. And that's because you are calling, that it's the physical inside of your body. You can experience something and you could, let's say that you've been bullied by someone and that day you're very fluy. And now it's years later and you built a toxic thought. So I've used, got this little tree to show, you know, mm. it's the living dead. It's like Game of Thrones. It's the living dead. This is not. <laughs> this is real, but it's toxic. And if you don't deal with it and you've suppressed it, this memory is in your brain and your body and your mind, three places. So it's in the gravitational field, so that's why you feel it and you experience this like a photon effect that Einstein spoke about. It's in your brain and it's in your body. So when you recall it, you're going to – the, the data comes back, the emotions come back, the feelings come back, the total narrative comes back through your mind, and that's why it's so overwhelming. And that's why these have to be suppressed because, I mean, suppressed, these have to be dealt with not suppressed because they cause brain damage like envy, jealousy that we spoke about in the beginning. So there's, I hope that makes, I know it's hard to understand, but think of mind as physical. Just step out of the paradigm that you've had yeah. for years where mind and brain have been used interchangeably and see them as separate but inseparable. This thing can do nothing without your mind. Your mind is you, your unique thinking, feeling, choosing, which happens at 400 billion actions and faster on an unconscious level, and a conscious level it's at about 2000 actions. We are aware of it every 10 seconds. So we can be aware of our mind, of how we're thinking and feeling and choosing every 10 seconds, which is how we learn to self-regulate. So Ooh. I've now I dropped a loaded bomb there.
0: <laughs> this is- <laughs> You
1: might want to unpack if, that. <laughs>
0: if people get, this is one of the most important things that I've ever heard, but I, I feel like also hearing it for other people, for us to make this distinction, because as you know, our yep. system of you know just assessment of humans, it's been very, mechanistic you know just newtonian like it's trying to find the 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 brain i mean the mind must be here it's the seat of the soul somewhere but this is getting into a realm that might look a little spooky but we now we've of course we got science to kind of figure this out because we always were chasing trying to figure out how all this stuff works but we do know like you said there's like a gravitational pull there's a gravitational anomaly that we are we're so much more than what we see when we look in the mirror, that's the big thing. And what you just mentioned, as we're evolving in this time right now in human history, getting us back to, but I don't even like to say back to, but like forward to a place where we are acknowledging all of it, right? Mind and brain.
1: Yes. We've got to bring mind, brain, body into the equation and we've got to understand the relationship. And this is something that you asked me, the first question was what got me into this. As I started understanding as a young student, the power of knowing the difference between mind and brain and the relationship, that's why I chose to pursue this for 38 years. And this is what I've intensively and passionately studied in various different ways with humans. I've never done lab work. I don't do lab experiments because you're not going to get real. real. I work with humans in the field. And I live, I come from Zimbabwe, born there, but I grew up in South Africa So in the apartheid era. So I spent three days a week working in the areas that were the most affected by the apartheid era and then the transition and the post era, the socioeconomic, political. I've worked in war-torn Rwanda. I've worked with the wealthiest of the wealthy, I've worked with the poorest of the poor. I've worked in corporate education. Every field I could get into, I've got into in and to to work with humans, to understand what is mind and what's into the integration and how can you understand it. And this book really cleaning up your mental mess, Sean, is really an accumulation or a, a sort of dissemination of all these years into simple language to to help us to understand that. And the reason I put science in is because science is is so is so spiritually. Even may say that science is so it changes all the time. It's never the same, and that's why we have to be continually learning. But science is a way of how we can actually then see if I do this, this happens. And I think one of the key things in science with mind is understanding that when I when I think, feel, and choose in this way, it has consequence. I will build a thought in my brain, and that thought will also build in my body and in these gravitational fields on a subatomic level and they're going to influence what I say and what I do and I'm going to get feedback and if it's toxic it's going to damage the brain and body which can be healed but the brain and body we see from neuroscience is not wired for toxicity so we're not wired for things like anger, jealousy, envy, we all the toxic stuff you can think of. We're not wired for depression, frustration, irritation, anxiety and that is why when we experience those we mustn't try And feel push them away or feel bad about them, we need to actually use them to say, why am I doing that? We need to embrace them as messengers. Okay, I'm irritated. Why? I'm Mm. having an argument. Why? I'm depressed. Why? See them as helpful. Eastern philosophy has done this for years. They've seen that any negative emotion is something that's telling you a story. And I showed in my most recent research the same thing. When you see something toxic, not as something, something that you have to be frightened of, but as something that you should embrace to control, otherwise it controls you, you completely shift the power play. So if I say, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, this is terrible, I don't know what to do, I'm so frustrated, as you do that, your brain and body and telomeres and everything, blood, homocysteine, inflammation, the whole lot's going crazy. But the minute I say, I feel depressed at the moment, I feel really bad, I'm having an awful day, but I can can work out why. And mm-hmm. I can manage it. You immediately shift the brain, even feeling depression. With that attitude, you shift the brain and the body, and fourteen hundred neurophysiological responses will now work for you instead of against you. You know, I mean, this is this is profound. This is stuff we need to be teaching yeah. people. We need to understand this concept. Sorry, I get so passionate about no, this. No, so do not
0: apologize. This is the best. This is so good. You know, I just thought about something too. When we are not, when we're not doing what you just mentioned, which is what our society has unfortunately kind of inundated us to do when the experience of depression comes up and we don't address it, we become so distant from it. We don't even, Mm. we don't even recognize it anymore. And we compensate, you know, we continue to compensate. And now it's like, and this is what we're going to get into next, which is cleaning up this mental mess. So we can get closer to seeing these feedbacks, mechanisms from our our body and our brain, but also understanding how our mind creates our brain in the first place. And we're gonna talk more about this right after this quick break. So sit tight, we'll be right back. When I was in high school and college, our big sports performance game day meal was muscacholi. All right, muscacholi consciousness, muscacholi performance I'm wondering why we're over on the sidelines, yawning and you know, waiting for the next play cycle back in again. Of course you get hopped up, you get the adrenaline going, you do your performance, but what if there was something better? Not just for game day, but for practice days as well, because how you practice is how you perform. And so if you're dedicated to true sports performance, your nutrition really does matter. And now we have things that have clinical evidence, peer reviewed, controlled trials, that show the efficacy of things that have been utilized for centuries. And a study published in Medicine and Science in Sports and Exercise tested 30 healthy athletes for six weeks to record the effects of cordyceps medicinal mushroom on their performance. The group that added cordyceps to their daily regimen had twice the oxygen uptake of the control group. This oxygen is essential in supplying nutrients to your muscles preventing fatigue, and preventing the buildup of lactic acid. Another study done by the same group also showed a 9% increase in aerobic activity from utilizing cordyceps. For myself personally, my pre-workout go-to is Shroom Tech Sport from Onnit. And this is because it was the subject of a double-blind, placebo-controlled 12-week clinical trial performed by researchers at Florida State University. And they found that utilizing Shroom Tech Sport as a pre-workout showed a direct increase in bench press reps by 12%. They also found an increase in combined bench press and back squat reps by 7% for the supersets and also were found to parallel the earlier study with a cardio performance increase by 8.8%, almost 9% that was seen in the earlier clinical trial. If you're not utilizing Shroom Tech Sport, definitely check it out. Go to onnit.com forward slash model. That's O-N-N-I-T.com forward slash model for 10% off. It's a world-class pre-workout and pre-life supplement to use. onnit.com forward slash model. Now back to the show. All right, we're back and we're talking with Dr. Caroline Leaf about her new book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, which I have right here. Make sure to get your copy ASAP. And before the break, we're talking about how, number one, which is again, it sounds revolutionary, but this is where we really are. This is the truth about how it works. Your mind creates your brain. And even right now, as we're doing this incredible podcast, Everybody listening, we're growing new roots. We're, we're creating roots. We're growing, basically these these branches of of thought, of association, and it could be healthy, or as you you gave the Game of Thrones reference, it could be a, a White Walker type of branches, exactly. or you can get some nice, you know, handsome Jon Snow branches going. Exactly. You know, either way, but we gotta we have to clean up our mental mess. And I'm gonna share this directly from your book because I want to start with this. You said that so much in our society seems to convey the message of now. It's as if we've entered an era where we have sacrificed the processing of knowledge for the gathering up of data, all right? So now let's, I wanna really be clear about this because this was one of those moments when I was reading this and it really struck me, especially we got social media, we've got the internet, we have so much data at our fingertips but I've rarely seen a person, especially in a, in the context of an argument, sitting with the idea, really allowing that to, to, to play out and to process it and to think about it. Think about different angles of it. Think it where it might not be true. And allowing that to really become a basis of knowledge because right now we're gathering so much data, but mm-hmm. we're we're starving for knowledge. So let's let's start with that.
1: I love that. It's one of my favorite things to talk about as well. I love talking about all this stuff, but it's so true. We have, we're we, we brilliant. Okay. But bottom line, humans are phenomenal. We have this endless capacity in our mind, in our non-conscious mind, which is working 24-7, which is infinite. It's like this massive forest. If you had to visualize a, flying over a forest with a helicopter, and it's just endless. Um, that We have this infinite capacity to Build to to respond to everything we're seeing and hearing and build it in our brain. So we're going to do we're going to do that and we do select. Our brain is is very is also very um, it's trained to be selective, but our brain can't select. Our brain is designed. Its 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 mechanisms are selective, but it has to be driven by something to be selective. So we've got to be we mustn't personalize the brain, because the brain can't do anything without you. Okay, so with your thinking, feeling, and choosing. So which is your mind? So. With all this ability to look and hear and see, like you've described, we are taking that and we are growing data banks in our brain. And they're going into this non-conscious mind. So this forest analogy has got a lot of a whole big sections of little trees that are light green, but they just they're just sitting there. They're just like fillers. You could even see them as almost moss on the ground if you wanted to have an analogy. But I can't really use the information in them because they're so far away and they're so inaccessible. They're this really inaccessible, almost like inside an oyster shell. So it's there, but I can't access it because I haven't I haven't put it into the ground properly. It's not something that's user-friendly. Maybe it's even the rocks on the ground could be a good analogy. There's just, it's there, it's in your. It's in the forest, but it's not accessible. And so we know we heard that and we know we read that and we know something about that, but we haven't. And that creates a lot of mess. Actually, rocks is a good analogy because now we've got this mess and these little trees that's of some that we spent a bit of time and that's not the natural design. The natural design of our forest should be this plush, rich, Beautiful trees like the in in San Fran the redwoods you know think of those trees and that incredible root system that's what we design for we design for deep intellectual thought we design for that that redwoods forest where their root system is extensive and all all systems are but the redwoods are known for their hugeness and their plushness and the root systems that are phenomenal and massive that is what the human brain looks like inside we have redwoods that we're supposed to have and our mind also has this redwood nature where we, if, if, you, if that makes sense. But we're not always thinking deeply enough. So instead of building these beautiful lush trees, our conversation now is building a, building a beautiful lush tree. But if we just kind of skim the surface, we would just build a little tiny kind of tree that might just disintegrate and have a whole bunch of rocks and stuff covering it. So that's what's happening. And that causes, and in the brain, that looks like um, these silk protein branches, but the proteins don't form in a very sustainable way. So if you don't do something with that information, energy's never lost, and this is all energy inside the protein is never lost. It's vibrational energy. It's transferred. It's converted. So if you don't pay any more attention to something, you just gather the data, it's going to convert into heat energy and disappear. So in your forest, there's these little trees and these rocks and these puffs of smoke all over the place. That is the information you've gathered that just, phew, it's gone out of your head. It's converted. And that's terrible if it's something you need. But if you take the time to think and feel and choose in a very systematically mind-driven, mind-managed way, you will actually grow a tree that gets roots and actually starts being, maybe it's a little bit light green and small, but then over time it becomes this lush redwood type tree. As soon as it's that kind of tree in the gravitational fields, it's also going to be that kind of tree in the brain and that's the kind of tree that influences behavior. So if you want a behavior change in your life, if you want to be able to have an intelligent discussion about something or be a contributor or, you know, when you think of something Someone who's wise. It's someone who's well-read and who's thought about it and they can contribute wisdom to a conversation. They tend to be the ones that are you know, maybe not always the calmer ones, but the ones that can kind of see two sides of the coin, that agree to disagree, that can, and and I don't want to use politics, but there's certain, you know, you can see this in, I'm not going to mention names, but you can see this in certain politicians very easily, the ones that are using wise minds and the ones that are just spouting out all kinds of stuff. And, you know, that's just all around us now. So I use that example, but we do that in our own lives. We're all guilty of that too. So that's what is very damaging for the brain because those, that dirt, those, little trees that you don't build that keep making puffs of smoke, that's in the in the gravitational fields of the mind, it creates a disruption in energy. So the non-conscious level in the gravitational fields in that third sort of level, they're those that makes little balls of energy rolling through the forest. I'm giving as many visuals. And those are like, especially where there's a lot of toxicity or um, un- unprocessed stuff both areas will produce unbalanced energy. And that makes us feel uncomfortable. We feel, ah, oh, something's wrong. And and yeah. you can actually even feel a little bit depressed and anxious and yeah. from not learning properly. And that's not even, I haven't even touched on the toxicity side. So what we want to do is, is, is deal with that through deep level mind brain building. Um, I have a whole section in the book called Brain Building, where I teach you how to not let that happen, because it's actually dangerous. It affects, you talk about helping people sleep, and you've actually written a book about sleep. Um, One of the things that, one of the biggest causes of people not sleeping is not thinking deeply enough to build redwoods, and having too many of these little things and dirt, and it creates Mm. toxicity in the brain. So when you're sleeping at night, your brain's housekeeping. So if you've got a lot of the stuff, it gets rid of it. It tries to get rid of it. And if you haven't used the neurogenesis you mentioned every day you're born with when you wake up a whole lot thousands maybe even millions we're still doing the research of new cells are born in your brain they are designed for a very specific purpose they're designed to be used through with deep intellectual thinking not just gathering of data but taking gather the data select the data think it through deeply build it into your brain you can't not everything choose something when you do that You're going to grow that red-type forest. You're going to use those new baby nerve cells and you're going to create this brain resilience system in your brain. So learning new information and deep thinking creates brain health. It creates brain resilience so that you're stronger for the acute traumas that hit us, like things like COVID, like the phone call that happens, like the thing in your business. Every day there's something that happens that we can't predict. And sometimes it's worse and sometimes it's not so good. If you don't have good brain resilience, that's a problem. So this gathering of data in our current now moment technological age creates these patterns of damage in the brain. So literally causing brain damage and it will come out in in your sleep is one of the first strong signs and also in how you actually just managing through the day. There's a constant feeling of, I just am not getting this right, this living right. All my patients, Sean, whenever a patient came into my clinical practice and I practiced for 25 years, as I mentioned, the first thing I would do would be teach them brain building, which is the first, in the second half of the book, it's all the, I talk about the neuro cycle, which I know you're going to ask me about, but it's the second half of the book's practical. And the first section teaches you how to brain build. And as humans, we should be like you clean your teeth every day, twice a day, sometimes three times a day, you should brain build for at least one to two hours every day to keep your brain healthy. It's one of the best ways of, of improving mental health and creating the resilience we need just to be humans to manage our mind. So there's a little, Passionate answer again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you've you've literally helped me so much by, this is one of those things where you're bringing out something that's just like, it's lingering there in my psychology, but I never put words to it. A big part of our epidemic of mental health struggles is related to our inability to think deeply.
1: Exactly,
0: Wow, that is like an absolute, that just cracked me wide open because as you mentioned, you know, this capacity, wait, so first of all, a lot of us are walking around with a lot of rocks just rattling around in our head. Exactly. And we're, we're wondering why we can't sleep at night. It's just like it's yeah. a rattle just going around. We we mm-hmm. haven't really created a, a situation where it's a beautifully landscaped, cultivated. Our brains as humans, exactly. we've evolved to spend time thinking. It's, thinking it's survival. Vaguely.
1: It's a survival right. instinct.
0: Right. And now today, we're just, we're just grabbing snacks everywhere. We're grabbing exactly. brain snacks and not really nourishing our brain through thought. I'm exactly. done. This is, and, oh goodness gracious. And,
1: that's, and that's contributing to this epidemic of people dying eight to 25 years younger. And the research shows that you give someone a label. I mean, this is coming full circle back to our earlier discussion. You label someone, you literally can add on another 10, you can chop off another up to 20 years of a person's life. That's unbelievable. I saw in my research that those patients that came into in, in the experimental and control group, the subjects that came in with so-called diagnosed clinical depression. They had such low energy in the front of their brain. They were identifying as a depressed person. And by the through mind management, through the neuro cycle, we, we, able to, we were able to help them shift that. But here's the interesting thing, Sean, the shift happens on a non-conscious level. In the forest, that non-conscious forest that I spoke about, the gravitational fields, that concept, the iron filings, electromagnet, that, that level, and also it's in the brain. So, so in, the, in, the, in the actual physical brain, so the non, but you, you don't you don't consciously, I guess you let me say it this way. Your conscious mind is always way behind your non-conscious mind and what's happening in your brain. Your brain picks up immediately what's happening in the non-conscious mind. The non-conscious mind is where the truth is, where what's really going on in your life is happening. So we can be in a state of denial which most of us do with certain things in our life. We've all got, and it's nothing to feel guilty about. This is the freedom in my message. Embrace it all because everything's a message. So if you have, if you are feeling guilty, grab the guilt, find the reason, do the apologizing and move on. Don't ever let shame stop you and block you. But whatever you've got in your life is going to affect how your identity is going to function. It's going to like kind of block that. So what we saw happening was that if you if okay, if you from here I give you the science and the evidence that in my clinical trials, and there's a summary there that your non-conscious mind is already healing before you feel it. So if you go through the process of, for example, using the neurocycle, which is, it's, it's how everyone, everyone should be using it. It's pure mind management. It doesn't mean you stop the therapy. You still do that. It enhances therapy. This is what do you do with yourself 24-7? That's what I'm teaching people to do. What do you do? You got to live with yourself. How do you live with yourself? That's what I'm showing you here. So as you direct your mind and you manage your mind, your non-conscious and your brain will change before you feel it. And I've got beautiful little pictures in color in the book to show you that change that's happening. So I encourage people that in the first three weeks of making changes, you very often won't feel massive change or see massive change, but it is happening. The evidence is there. Your non-conscious mind is changing. Your brain is changing. And that helps us to recognize my mind's doing this work. My my conscious mind, I'll, I'll catch up. Eventually I'm going to catch up with... With what's really going on inside of me.
0: Yeah, I love it. Let's do that. Let's talk about the neurocycle a little bit. Just give people a, a, an overview of what Absolutely. that looks, at, looks like. Absolutely,
1: yeah. with pleasure. So, the neurocycle is 38 years in the making. So, the first version was developed. Thirty-eight years ago to meet the needs of thirty-five, yeah, thirty-eight years ago to meet the needs of my patients to give them something that could help them deal with that trauma, that learning problem, whatever. That all, so I, and I was so disillusioned by the therapy techniques that I had been trained to use in my practice. Not, not all of them were bad. A lot of them had great principles, but there was something missing, and that something that was missing was the ability for me to control my mind. So what I wanted to do was to say, okay, there's all these beautiful techniques and therapies, and and wonderful stuff, but no one's showing me how to actually learn them and use them in my life. So there's there's a whole missing element. It's kind of like the rocks in the trees. If you just read the stuff, but you don't actually learn how to use the stuff, you've got to, so, so what is that? What is that? How do I learn how to, Take the data that's coming in, choose something, and think about it deeply to build it into a thought in my brain. How do I do that? That's what the neurocycle is. That's what I developed 38 years ago. I developed the how, the vehicle, the system for how you as a human can get hold of your mind? How do how do I get hold of my thinking, feeling, and choosing to catch these thoughts, these toxic ones, these patterns, these bad habits, these traumas, these things, these responses that are getting me stuck and making me, you know, that I'm ruminating and my mind's going crazy and I hate responding like this, but I'm responding. How do you get that under control? And how do you build your brain? All that stuff. That's what the neurocycle is. So it's Five simple steps, because if you're working with someone who's in trauma, you can't give them five hours of explanations. So I had to refine, I had to go through a process of understanding and refining. So I've taken five, uh, I, I okay, backtrack for a second. I studied the in the process, I studied the science of how thoughts form in the brain, from the mind so what is the mind developed a the theory of mind and then how does it how do they grow into the brain what's the process how do they grow into the mind and how do they grow into the dna how do they get there and can i influence that can i control it yes so the five steps are how you use your mind to grow these in your brain and in your mind and in your forest in, in your dna sorry and how to control it so that's what the neuro cycle is five steps that are based on solid science. So each step, and in the book, I do explain the five steps and I do give the science behind them. And if people want to read the science, they can skip it or they can read it. But there's, there's an explanation of what each step is doing in the brain. So what I can do, if you want, Sean, is I can give a broad overview of the, of the concept with a simple explanation, just a couple of brain and body things. And perfect, then people can yes. read more. And then we can maybe do an example or whatever you want from there. That sounds uh, perfect.
0: You, okay. Let's do that. Perfect.
1: Okay, so the first thing is that you have to prepare your brain and that's something we're all familiar with priming our brain or preparing our brain brain preparation and that's not one of the steps that's just preparation so what what are those things everything that we're familiar with breathing tapping havening meditation you you name it anything that you can start getting your neurophysiology calm down because when we are busy, 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 hurry sickness or experiencing frustration or dealing with a trauma or in a life, okay, the adver- we get worked up. So what we want to do is before we do the work of, of cleaning up the mental mess, it's very important to prepare the brain. Obviously involved in all of that is diet and exercise, etc. but those are big picture things. So in this moment right now, let's say that you have an argument with someone and you've you've got to get your head together and you've got to get into uh, a TV interview or you've got to get on a stage or you've got to go into a business meeting or you've got to g- 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 have dinner with your in-laws. I don't know what it is, but you've just had a thing that's disrupted your life for a few moments. How are you going to get yourself back together again? We can take that as one example and then we can take another example of, let's say that you were abused as a child and you've never dealt with it and now you're an adult and you can't. your relationships are just messed up and you realize that you're depressed and you're trying to find out why. And so in other words, sexual trauma can be pervasive. So that's a big thing. That's a, so I'll, I'll approach the five steps from those two angles. One, how can I use it in the now? And I call that a, a basically a neurocycle life hack. And, um, and that example would be people pleasing or responding someone says something toxic to you, or you find yourself ruminating, or you know, so it's interactions and it's in your own head. You might find that you just can't get your thoughts under control, and you keep ruminating, and it's affecting how you're working, and so on. The other thing is the the more long term stuff, like a toxic trauma or a toxic bad habit. Maybe you've got a really toxic habit that is keeping you stuck. So those take those are a little bit different. Both use the five steps, but they use them one. You'll use them in five minutes or five seconds. The other one you do for fifteen to forty five minutes every day for twenty one days. And then you're not finished because then you've built a tree, but it's small. You have to grow it and give it energy for to water it. You have to spend another 42 days of doing the fifth step, which takes you about a minute a day for 42 days. So it's very little time, but it it grows that tree into a redwood. It gives it enough energy that it will impact your behavior. So if you're in that relationship issue or you're in that argument that you've had repeatedly with the same person, it's the same pattern, as having done this work of over 42 days, as the trigger occurs, This will pop up because this has, this has been destroyed and you've reconceptualized it. You'll remember this and you'll remember, Oh, I used to. And you might even start reacting in that way, but this has not got no energy anymore. This one dominates. And so you'll have behavior change or you're in that relationship and that. Sexual trauma maybe has pervaded your ability to you're totally anxious and you can't form relationships. You just lost hope. You whatever, but you work through this process and it may take a few cycles of sixty three days. What would that look like at the end? What that would look like at the end is. Yes, I I went through trauma. It affected me. This is why I'm feeling anxious. But now I know why, and now I know how to manage the anxiety, and I can explain that in my relationship, and I can now work on another neuro cycle to work out how I can actually improve the relationship, because maybe your relationships are on the rocks because of that. So you've got to, can you see what I'm saying? So mm. the the we, we give up too quickly. We, we do something, so people will do these five steps and think I've done it once, why has my life not changed? Or people go to <laughs> therapy. Right. You have to persist and pursue it. It takes 63 days to form a habit. It does not take 21. It takes 21 days to create the neuroplastic changes in the brain where you have found this, pulled it apart, re- embraced, processed, and reconceptualized it to, con- to deconstruct and reconstruct it into a healthy thought. Reconceptualized. You remember the past, but it's reconceptualized. It takes 21 days to do that, but it takes 42 days to give the sufficient energy to move out of the non-conscious into the conscious. It's like when you drive, at first you're very conscious of the process and then comes a day like, now you don't think about driving and we think we're driving automatically, but we're not at all. There's a huge dynamic intelligence occurring. You get in that car, you pull up your your driving thought from your non-conscious mind. It's intelligent and you add new branches because you're driving, it's a new experience. So that's what I'm talking about, okay? So... Prime the brain and prepare the brain because otherwise we have neurochemical chaos. When the brain's got a lot of chemistry flying around and energy going crazy, it's very hard to get anything in here properly. So we just want a, a little bit of breathing can reset the brain. And one of the most um, powerful techniques, and I teach you quite a few, and I mean, it's easy to find preparation. I, I do give lots of examples. We have an app, by the way, that also goes with this called the NeuroCycle app. And there's lots of, I walk you through this process, obviously like therapy. It's like literally therapy, videos, audio. So an example of brain preparation that you could do in 60 seconds that is phenomenally powerful is what i call the 10 second pause and this is how you do it so this is now the preparation okay so we're going to we're going to now do a neurocycle but before we start we're going to prepare our brain and the 10 second pause is you breathe in for three counts and you breathe out for seven the reason you breathe the reason the exhalation is longer than the inhalation is because that pushes oxygen to the front of the brain, increases blood flow, increases what we call the alpha energy of the brain and the gamma energy in a balanced way, which means I'm now going to be insightful and integrative in my thinking, which is exactly what we want. We want Deep introspection, insight, and we want to integrate. That that keeps us in perspective. People that argue and say, "This is my way or the highway." That kind of who can't tolerate other people's opinions or don't know how to disagree, they have got very low energy, low gamma, low alpha at the front of their brain. They've got brain fog. Okay. Whereas, but when you let that fog, you drop back. You can actually then learn how to actually agree to disagree and and still like the person and not them you know that kind of thing really so that's one of the benefits so this breathing you want to increase your your in your um, your activity in the front of the brain so that's why you breathe out for longer than in you if you do this it takes 10 seconds three in seven out if you do this six to nine times which is 60 to 90 seconds, You would have stabilized the neurochemistry in the brain and pushed enough blood and oxygen to the front of the brain and got this balance of what we call the alpha wave, the gamma wave, also the correct burst of what we call high beta and beta and delta and that. Everything's doing, things are doing what they should be doing. You've prepared, you've laid the table, you're ready to eat. Okay. So, another component that even makes it more effective is you add three words to the to the 10 second pause and those three words are as you breathe in for three in your head you say in your mind you say think feel so it's you're breathing in it's three counts and it's think feel so you're saying so you're adding words you're adding a cognitive component so it's not just one two you know you can you can do it with your fingers so like that as you breathe in but you're saying think feel you can even say it out loud but you're adding a cognitive component to it. And then when you breathe out, you say, choose. Anyone who does yogurt knows about ocean breath, how you push the breath out. That's kind of what you're doing. You want to push that out. So it's it's a deep inhalation, it's not just a surface one, it's a deep belly breathing blowing up, like blowing up a balloon into your chest, into your head, and then whoosh it out. That kind of breathing six to nine times is phenomenal at priming the brain sidebar it's fantastic if you're in an argument or you've just got to calm yourself down quickly or you've got to get yourself back together for so it's great uh, and stabilizer okay so you
0: just have to you just have to train yourself to be able to access that Exactly,
1: exactly. And you don't even, that's why I say you can just, for a moment, you can just say, give me a moment. I'm just going to process this. And we should all be doing that anyway. We shouldn't be reacting and firing back. We should always wait 60 to 90 seconds before we respond in a highly heated situation because we're going to say the wrong thing. In that 60 to 90 seconds, we are going to say the wrong thing because there's too much chaos in our brain. We don't have enough balance. So our mind is worked up and our brain is, is, is getting this whooshy energy through the brain so it's all messed up, so you're not going to react well. I talk about that in the book as well. That's describe what I've just, and there's a bunch of other neuroplasticity techniques that you can use to Perfect. help prepare the prime the brain. Okay, so now let's start neurocycling. So now the first thing is you gather awareness. I spent a lot of time choosing those, the words that I use because I want you to convey the concepts. We spoke earlier on about we shouldn't be frightened of things like depression and anxiety and anger and guilt. And yes, those are toxic. But if you're frightened of them, you make your brain more toxic, you create more damage in your brain. But if you say, okay, I know that they're a problem, but they aren't an it, they are a response to something that's going on, they're a symptom of an underlying cause. They're a warning signal, like your alarm goes off. So if you see them in that way, a study came out of Japan and Tokyo just recently, um, to Japan, to Japan and Texas University, which confirmed the research I had shown 18 uh, sort of a year ago, uh, which is in the book, saying that if you do what I've just said, if you embrace, if you gather awareness, so as and see the message. And see it for what it is. There's a message in it. Instead of trying to push it away, and this is terrible, I must get rid of it. This is a symptom. I must just get it. I must just push it away. I mustn't do this. I mustn't do this. You get the white bear effect. Tell yourself not to do something. You're gonna do it. Okay. So you don't do that. You don't tell yourself don't do this. You just you, you rather say why am I doing it? So you never say to yourself, let's say you let's say that you get mad in traffic. I mustn't do this. That will guarantee you will do it. But if you say Why am I doing this? Why am I getting so worked up? Okay, there's a message in this. There's something good about this. That heals the brain. So gathering awareness of that in that way heals the brain versus if I, oh, I mustn't do this. I mustn't do this. I'm so bad. Can you see the difference? That one, the second one is causing brain damage. The first one where you're gathering, it's the gathering awareness is very it's very positive, it's hopeful, it's okay, I'm messing up. Sure, I, I said the wrong thing, I was awful, but it's okay, I'm gonna fix this because there's a reason why I'm doing that. Can you just feel how much calmer you feel just hearing me say that?
0: Right, yeah.
1: You know, you, there's like it takes away all, it, it makes you not feel defensive, you don't feel like you have to justify, you don't feel like you have to hide or withdraw, you actually can go forward into this thing, okay, I just messed up, it's okay, I'm gonna fix this. There's a why behind why I did this. That's what gathering is, you gather awareness What am I doing? Why am I doing it? It's the attitude of, I'm going to gather this. Think of an apple tree that's full of apples. And you sit under this apple tree and you just bump it and all these apples land on your head and nearly knock you out. That's what we're doing when we go, oh, this is terrible. Ah, Everything's hitting you and you're confused and it's sore. Or you can say, okay, that's a really full apple tree. There's a lot of emotional stuff going on there. There's a lot of physical warning signals. But you know what, there's a reason. There's a root, there's a tree, there's a core. Okay, I'm gonna go up and I'm gonna pick the apples and I'm gonna put them in a basket. I'm gonna gather awareness. See, there's such a difference. So that's what the first step is doing and it does all this beautiful stuff in the brain, balancing the hemispheres, getting the blood flow. in your telomeres, your telomeres, now what is a telomere? We talked about, I love the way you said tickling telomeres earlier on. Um, Your telomeres, DNA strand for those of you that don't know, pull out the DNA, the chromosome out the DNA strand, it looks like an X, and where you see my fingernails, which are conveniently pink today, so it's easy to visualize this, um, <laughs> you are telomeres. So telomeres are, do a lot of things, but one of the main jobs we're seeing in a current research on mind-brain work is that they show what's going on in your mind and the impact of mind on body. So we're seeing them as a tremendous link between the two. There's been a, quite a lot of research, but not that much research done, it's very new research. And so I decided to start doing some of my own research in in and I put this information in the book. Now, normally what happens is that every second you're making millions of new cells and the quality of those cells determines the quality of everything in your body and your brain. So if I am in a worked up state and I'm not managing my mind for 10 minutes, how many seconds have passed in 10 minutes? Let's just take one minute I'm worked up. 60 seconds have passed. Every second I've made millions of cells. I've just made $60 million bad cells. How did those bad cells translate? Vulnerability in my body. My body's not going to be as healthy in that moment. And it's there's it a while before I turn those cells over again. So here's a very simple but very complex um, example of mind-brain. Where do telomeres come in? They influence cell division. So if they are not strong and healthy, if they're short and like a worn you know, they're wearing out and they're not working well, you're going to produce unhealthy cells. And so we saw, for example, in my study with our um, subjects at the beginning of the study, we looked at psychology and narrative and blood and brain and all kinds of stuff. We saw that their telomeres, um, because they all came in with big things, clinical depression, traumas, lots of stuff. We saw that the telomeres were weak, they were shortened. We look at telomere length, you look at the quality, etc., through the testing. And they, their telomeres were short, which meant that they were biologically not that healthy. So cells translate into biology. So a simple example here is that some of them were like say, let's say, let's say they were 30, but they had bodies because of their mind management and telomeres, they had bodies that were actually 30 to 40 years older and unhealthy than what they were. So we have a 30-year-old 30 with a 65-year-old body that's sick. That person, yeah. if you're 30 and you have a 65-year-old sickly body, you have increased your vulnerability to disease by sixty-five, by 70, 75 to 98%, which is insane. And And when you're in that state, I mean, there's so many things I can tell you, but when you're in that state, you'll start saying things like, I, 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 you become very self-focused and, and they're self-focused with the idea of improving and they're self-focused with the idea of being stuck. If you I, me, I, I stuck, you actually can increase your chance of cardiovascular disease by 42% in the next 12 months. I mean, I can go on and on and on and they're scary statistics, but you can reverse it just as quickly. So we showed that within three weeks, you can start Improving the length of the telomeres by nine weeks, and that's why nine weeks is so critical. Um, by nine weeks, we had significantly lengthened the telomeres in the Incredible. subjects. So, well, they, well, they had. I, we didn't do it. They were doing it. T- how through the neurocycle? I didn't do drugs. I mean, didn't get, they? They got no medications. They got no. We didn't even look at diet, etc. We, we, which obviously it's important, but I just wanted to show the power of mind. So, right. to pure mind management, we brought their biological and chronological ages together. So that thirty. Old no longer had a 65-year-old sickly body after nine weeks. Nine weeks, it's, it's nothing. That's, That's no time. They had their own 30-year-old body. Their homocysteine levels had significantly dropped, which meant the inflammation through the brain and body had dropped. And you you and I know inflammation that stays there longer than it should is going to increase your susceptibility right. to disease. That's why people are dying from preventable lifestyle diseases. I'm giving you the keys of how to get into this preventable state. But this
0: is pr- this is priceless because People you're literally talking about our you know, telomeres are a biological marker for aging, you know, exactly. as a reference point. And people that were spending all of this money for anti aging cream and anti aging this and that, when our mind has the power that supersedes all of that. It's so powerful. All so of gather it. gathering, that's number awareness, one. So Getting awareness. And n- and number
1: a simple version of, okay, so just to gather these, these just to help people, what do I gather awareness on? What are the apples I pick? You pick the emotional warning signals, anxiety, depression, whatever emotion. You pick the physical warning signals, what's going on in your body from the DNA. So what are you feeling? Heart palpitations, GI symptoms, stress in your shoulders, whatever. And then you also look at your behavioral warning signals. What are you doing? What are you saying? What's your body language? What words are you using? What are your behaviors? What are the your, what are how people are responding? What are you doing at work? So, you look at all those signals and then you also look at your perspective, very important. The perspective is the tree trunk. This perspective would be a life sucks perspective. This one right. is, okay, I've got hope. So perspective yeah. is kind of the overarching view that you have when you're in that particular state. Okay, so that's what you gather awareness of.
0: so we So gather, so there's five steps to this neuro cycle. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah, so there's five we'll, steps. we'll bullet point the, the rest of them. I want everybody to get the book and start to put this stuff into action for themselves. So gather is number one. Gather is number
1: one. Number number two is reflect, reflect. Mm -hmm. And if you think of reflect, a mirror reflects, light reflects. Um, if, If you put light through a prism, it reflects multiple colors. It breaks up. So reflect is very big. It's this huge complex reflecting on. It's ask, answer, discuss. So second step is reflect. How? Ask, answer, discuss. As you ask yourself and you're having this discussion with yourself. As you ask yourself, you answer yourself and you discuss with yourself. I feel depressed because of X, Y, Z, why? Because of X, Y, Z, why? Because of X, Y, Z, and you keep, uh, oh, that means this, this, means, and you have this whole, and you can literally go into what I call the multiple perspective advantage, which I also teach in this book, which is creating space. It's standing back and observing yourself. So here I am, Caroline, Caroline. Caroline, mental mess, Caroline, wise. Pick the apples. Caroline, what apples are you picking? Caroline, now reflect. So you almost do it in this creating mental space, which does the most fantastic stuff in your brain and body. And I don't want to belabor the point, but your telomeres are going to love it. Your homocysteine levels are going to love it. You're going to drop your cortisol levels and you're going to increase your DHEA levels, which is really good. You want a great... Cortisol DHA ratio. I can go on and on. You even, in, you even drop prolactin. Prolactin is a hormone we normally associate with breastfeeding women, but it's a hormone in males and females. And there's a lot of new research coming out showing prolactin is also related to how we're managing our mind. So we saw prolactin dropping. Anyway, I can go on and on, but the point here, you get the general gist is when you reflect in this way and you gather in this way, when you do these steps, you are literally changing the physiology, the neurophysiology, you're taking broken neurophysiology, you're taking literal broken stuff, and you are changing the wiring. So as you gather awareness, the minute you gather awareness, the little protein bonds holding this toxic thought with all of its data and roots and the whole thing, you're actually weakening the bonds, which makes it malleable, which makes it changeable. As you reflect, you weaken it even more. You're removing energy and you're starting to gather that transfer the energy into building a replacement. By the time you get to step three, which is write, the famous write, everyone tells you to write, and you shouldn't write before you have gathered and reflected. There's a reason, Is mm. and I put it in the book, there's very clear brain reasons. You've got to gather. And in that way, prime the brain. And I gave an example, breathing, gather, apple picking, the four things, uh, reflect that deep ask, answer, discuss, then you write. When you write, you pour your brain on paper, vomit the words on paper. You're putting your mind and brain on paper. You're pulling out the forest. And if, if you write in a way, and I've developed a system called the MetaCog, which is in the book, I've also in the NeuroCycle app that, goes, that you can get as well, there's a whole video on how to do it. It is the most powerful way we've had. I had patients in my clinic that were that were when I was practicing that had severe, that were diagnosed with severe schizophrenia. and I don't believe schizophrenia is an it; it was a symptom. So I approached it as I've already explained. So that was a symptom of something going on, but they were so traumatized that they had multiple different um, personalities, and which is very often a mind manifestation of extreme trauma, and they had been for every therapy under the sun and I taught them the neurocycle. And what we did was we used a massive big whiteboard and they, we would take a concept and I would say, okay, now start, gather awareness, reflect on a specific aspect, now write in the MediCog. And as they were writing, and this is an extreme example, but it's so powerful. As they were writing, we could see the personality split. We could see, so they, they were just talking as though it was one conversation. At the end of it, we could see five different people seeing this particular incident. And they stood back and they said, I didn't know. And that was when we were able to start re- recombining the elements of their mind and start dealing with the trauma. Because my mind splits and we have psychotic breaks and disassociation when the trauma gets too much. It's pure survival. It's, it's a pure survival mechanism. So to re- reconnect the mind, this so there's an extreme example, but it could be something as simple as you, you have the same argument with your spouse, which is so common. Because and you don't see it, do you do this, gather, reflect, and write to the metacog, you will be stunned at what you see, because you're pulling stuff out of the depths of your brain, you're forcing the two sides of the brain to work together, you're digging in that forest, and you're finding, you're literally going into the forest, and you're digging up the tree, and you're upending it, and you're looking for those. The, metac- the metacog as the third step is helping you. So you can see each of these is very scientific, very systematic. Your fourth step is the recheck where you go and look at what you've written because that metacog I can guarantee is a big mess. And that's what you want. It doesn't have to make any sense. You just get it out. The recheck is where you make sense. And you look back, okay, what is this? What am I saying? What is that? Patterns, triggers, activators, use colors, circles, draw pictures, arrows. Phenomenally powerful experience where you do a mental autopsy to reorganise, where you're digging around and finding where's the tumour. Oh, I can, there it is. I can get it out. What can I? What's my antidote for the tumour? What's my? What can I? There's my trigger. There's my activator. There's the root. You start seeing the root. You start getting some. You start digging. The ground is being dug away, and you can start seeing the first. The roots coming up. So you're literally there with a spade in the in the recheck digging the sand around the roots and digging up the tree and you're pulling it up and you're starting to see that root and that root. It takes a full six 21 days to get the roots out. You're not going to get the roots out on day one, but the recheck is starting to – each of the steps is taking in that direction. The active reach then is at this stage you've done a lot of work. Yeah. Mentally, you can carry on. Physically, your brain can't. Okay, so a so wise mind can carry on forever, but our – mind that is the the outside of the forest is the sort of the active mind that's going on all the time, it gets tired. The brain gets tired. So you have to finish. Active reach is your conclusion step for the day. So you would have done this process over 15 to 45 minutes max, and then you stop with your active reach, which could be anything from um, a, a simple statement, an action, something like each time when I catch myself wanting to snap, maybe that's what you're working on, a pattern in a relationship, I am going to say X, or I am going to squeeze a stress ball, or I am going to visualize something, or sing the song in my head, or make a statement. Someone with sexual trauma, maybe they'll say something like the first day they discover, okay, this is definitely something going on, um, and I feel shame, that's the big domine, I am not shame. So that active reach, you literally practice, um, you, you practice saying it seven times at least during the day, how? In the NeuroCycle app, there is an active reach reminder. Like on your iPhone, you can put in your reminders. You set it to pop up on your, on your computer. So if you're using the phone or if you're using the NeuroCycle app, you can actually put the reminder in and then it pops up and, um, and then you'll read that. All you do is read it. It keeps it in your conscious awareness, giving it more energy and it's positive. It's healthy. It's anchoring you back in mental peace. And that's so important to, to do that. So it's an action, but it's an action that leads you to progress forward in hope. So it's a beautiful thing as well. And it's doing beautiful stuff in your brain. I can go on for hours and hours about that. But that's the essential concept. And the how to apply all of that, I've broken up into different sections. So the first section is brain building. So those same five steps you learn use. To brain build, so that's learning. So this is great for parents of homeschooling. It'll help your kids learn how to learn, because that's what the brain building does. And then you, as an adult, and whatever, everyone should brain build. So it's basically the same five steps where you would the gather becomes gathering what you're learning. So reading and the the, the reflect is understanding what you've read, and the write is writing it down on the metacog. So you, it just it's the same process, but it's just done as a building versus a detoxing. So the one you detoxing and rebuilding the other one you're actually building something in your brain same five steps i've also got in here how to deal with trauma acute trauma uh, which is the sudden stuff the big t trauma which is those things like war and bull and, and rape and that sort of stuff. And then there's the um, small t-trauma which is equally as damaging but it's the little things that happen every day like maybe you have a boss at work who's constantly on your back or you have a sick family member and it's just constant little traumas, how to work with those. I also have a section in here on how to deal with toxic habits, like if you keep arguing with your spouse there's a pattern or if you're always getting angry in traffic or if you always get really whatever, those Toxic blocks in our life, how to fix those. And then I have throughout, and then I also have how to build good habits. So to use the neurocycle to build like they can take your book where you teach them, they can use a neurocycle to learn what you teach them to build good eating habits into their life. Um, to, so it's building. So I talk about neurocycles for building good communication, good diet, good exercise, etc., etc., etc. So they try and give you the whole picture, and then throughout their little hacks, like if you get stuck in people pleasing, what do you do in the moment? If you have that argument, what do you do in the moment? So there's the little five second ones. Gosh, I've said such a lot. I always said. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I love this so much. And it's so, your book is so rich. It's just absolutely rich with just wisdom. But, and I want to encourage everybody to, already the our branches are spectacular, but to take it another step is to put some of these things into action for ourselves. So I want to encourage everybody to get their copy right now, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. This book is, and coming out right now, we super need this. So I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for you putting your time and energy and your experience into creating something this special for everyone. And can you let everybody know where they can pick the book up and also where they can just follow you and find out more information?
1: Absolutely. Well, they can get pick up the book wherever books are sold. but They can go to the website, cleaningupyourmentalmess.com and then it'll take you to all Amazon and everything. My website's drleaf.com and my Instagram and all my social media handles are drcarolineleaf. And there's tons of stuff on all of those, like all of us who are giving good content on our pages. But that's where they can follow me on Instagram. They'll get access to everything as well. Through there, you can get to the book and so on. So drleaf.com and drcarolineleaf on Instagram.
0: and Perfect.
1: Wherever books are sold.
0: <laughs> Dr. Leaf, this is one of my favorite episodes. This is so oh, thank rewarding and and. I mean, this is going beyond what we what we see out here, you know, which is so focused on the minutia of, you know, again, we mentioned earlier the mechanistic thinking about how yeah. all this stuff works. And it it makes us feel disempowered because once something's wrong with the mechanism, you're broken. Exactly. And that's the end of the story. So this was incredibly empowering and I appreciate you so much. I can't wait to talk more.
1: Oh, I can't wait to talk more as well. I'm looking forward to interviewing you soon on your book. So that's going to be exciting and I really appreciate that. If people also want to know more about the NeuroCycle, I do. I've got a podcast, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, where I'll be interviewing you. But I do a lot of NeuroCycles on there for people just to get the hang of it as well. So that's another place they can connect with me. But thank you, Sean, it's been so great. Thank you for giving me so much time to share all the concepts and I really hope it helps all your viewers and listeners.
0: Awesome, it definitely will. I appreciate you so very much. Thank you. Dr. Caroline Leaf, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. This is one of the most important conversations that we need to be having right now and really looking at where science is and where humanity is. You know, we've really lost touch with what is most important about us and it is an intangible thing and it is our mind and it's just so empowering once we realize that we ourselves can use our minds to create our brain. We can use our minds to create our bodies and to know the mechanisms behind it today is just super inspiring for me and again, I hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. Make sure to pick up her new book right now, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. It is an essential in your library. And if you got a lot of value out of this episode, please share it out with your friends and family on social media. And you can tag me and you can tag Dr. Leaf as well. I appreciate you so much for tuning in. We've got some epic shows coming your way very, very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon.